This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome back to Content Pros Podcast. I'm Randy Frisch. As always, I've got Tyler Lessard joining me. And today, we get to have one of my favorite people in content marketing join us, Robert Rose from Content Marketing Institute. And for those who don't know Content Marketing Institute, you may have heard of Content Marketing World. And the beauty is when you go to those events, you see this really energetic person who educates us around this world of content marketing that we live in. And every once in a while, We'll even, you know, do a little air guitar, which I'll let him talk about as as we bring him into the show shortly. But you know, Tyler, you've probably seen Robert entertain audiences multiple times. Well, it's it's always great to to have folks like Robert on, who I think really live and breathe and embody the spirit of content marketing, not just in uh, in in what we do on a day to day basis, but I think uh, to your point, how how you engage audiences. So um, with that, uh, I'll, I'll I'll turn it over to Robert in just a second. I'll intro him by saying that not only is he a great thought leader in the space and uh, a strategic advisor at Content Marketing Institute. But of course, he is also a speaker and an author, um, recently published Killing Marketing along with Joe Polizzi. And uh, I love the uh, intro to this, which says, even though technology has changed dramatically over the past decade, marketing has not. And while many of us will argue, well, it has changed, I I emphasize that point of dramatically. And and with that, maybe, Robert, I'll turn it over to yourself to finish up your own introduction, to to introduce yourself to the audience and, and talk a bit about what Killing Marketing is all about. Well, okay. So first of all, thank you. And, and I, I, I refuse to talk about the air guitar thing. So let's just get that on the table right away. <laughs> oh, um, we've, we've got 30 it, minutes with you. We'll, <laughs> we'll get it out. <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And there is video for those who know how to search social media in any sort of uh, sophisticated way. Um, so, but thank you for having me. It's a, it's, it's a great pleasure to be on the show. Um, the, so I am, yes, as you said, the chief content or chief strategy advisor with the content marketing Institute. And my role is to really run around the planet and work with usually larger brands, sort of see siloed global matrix, you know, difficult organizations that are looking at standing up a content marketing strategy and are really trying to figure out how to do it. And that work over the last call it really 10 years, um, is something that I've been working on as part of my role with Content Marketing Institute for sure. And it's also helped inform our editorial and our events and the speakers that we have and those kinds of things, working with the companies that are actually really doing it. And where that has led is uh, Joe and I started uh, talking about five years ago about the idea of really rebooting marketing. And we sort of took the idea that uh, you know, it's a it's a quote that's associated with Mark Twain, although he probably never said it, which is it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that gets you into trouble. And we started asking ourselves, 
What if it's what we really know about marketing today that's really holding us back, which is this idea of leading with persuasive copy, trying to use advertising, direct marketing, cold calling, the idea, the whole idea of direct marketing as sort of the, the front of the bow of the ship, right? It's, the, it's how we sort of enter the marketplace. And we said, what if we could do things differently? What if it was about building an audience, using content to assemble a trusted, engaged, subscribed audience that would drive value for the organization in so many other ways? What if we just sort of reversed the idea of where content usually sits in the organization? And that was the inspiration for the book. And it's really our idea of killing marketing, which is not killing the practice that I know and love and have been a part of for 35 years. But it's really this idea of what if we could change it to be something different in this new world that we live in? So I I love the idea of, you know, how marketing and content marketing can be so much more strategic value to a business. And it's something I know we, we've, I, I talked to my own team about is building out our content strategy as something that would have value. Like if somebody would come along to buy us as an organization, could we value what we've invested in from a, from a content and from a marketing perspective as an asset to the business? Um, and I think it's, you know, it, it's a different way of thinking and, and it takes you down a much more longer term strategic pro, uh, path to how you add value to the company. Um, now, I'm curious, Robert, what are the big things, you know, there's lots of things that have changed, but if you could narrow it down to just a few main things, what's changed over the last decade that's driving your perspective on how we need to change and, and what, what is a forcing function for the shift? Sure. It's well, you know, I mean, it, there are many of the things that we're all familiar with that have been, you know, explored ad nauseum at every conference we go to, which is the, you know, digitization of marketing more broadly. Um, But even if you just peel that back a little bit, right, so that one layer and you sort of look at the digital idea, what that has really enabled is both an opportunity and a risk, which is, you know, a lot of people will say, well, content is now commoditized, right? And the idea of content is a commodity and it's out there and there's so much noise and digital is really enabled basically this tsunami of, of, of stuff out there. And it's really hard to, to sort of get beyond and get, you know, get attention and all of that stuff. And I, to a certain extent that that's true, but the, but the, the real change here is yes, the distribution and the production of content has has really been commoditized or democratized, if you will. So it's really easy now using technology, such as the technology we're literally using as we record this, there is this wonderful idea that we can you know, consumerize or prosumerize the creation and distribution or the distribution and production of content, but the creation of it hasn't been democratized. It's still as hard today as it was when Gutenberg invented the printing press to come up with something that's interesting, to come up with something that people will resonate with and that will take action on. And that part hasn't changed. And so the real change here is how can an organization, a company, adapt and change into this idea of utilizing technology and the digitization of marketing and everything that exists from the fragmentation of audiences across channels and mobile and social and platforms and, you know, all of these different formats that are now available to us, but create a valued piece of content within that. In other words, truly changing, not just 
throwing more content into the machine because it can scale and produce all this wonderful stuff in a programmatic way. But how do we actually start valuing the content creator, the one who can create the impactful story, the one who can create the amazing thought leader piece, the expert, the authority? And that evolution is quite frankly something that is really difficult for organizations to make. The idea of creating content, just to your point, the idea of creating content that is valuable in and of itself, just because the content is valuable, is a really big shift for most companies to make. They're used to creating content that describes value through copy, that creates persuasive um, you know, content through features and benefits and reasons to believe and mission statements and all you know, product descriptions and catalog ideas and all of that is really familiar to most marketing and communications uh, departments within the organization. But the idea of creating content that itself is valuable is a really fundamental change. And that's the biggest change that I see where organizations are truly surfacing and leading is where they start valuing the creation of content as an asset in the business. So Robert, let me ask you something. And I, I love that definition. In fact, Every time someone starts at my company, I do a session on culture, and and one of the slides that we use is to define content marketing because I think it's it's one of those buzzwords that has meaning to everyone. But if we ask everyone bit. to actually sit down and define it, we'd get like right. twenty different answers from twenty people in a room, right? And and I always use a a quote from I, I don't know if it's yourself or Joe that put it together that talks about if it's good, know, it's me. All right, there you go. It's about adding value, relevant, and consistent consistency of what you're putting in front of your audience to attract that clearly defined audience. And I love that. And I love the idea that, that you're focusing on value. And, and I guess my question to you for people who are either saying, okay, we want to start doing this, or we've been doing it and it's just not working, is who has to be the champion of this idea of creating value? Where does it start when you're going into these companies who you've seen have succeeded, companies maybe like a Red Bull? It, does it start at the CEO level or does it work its way up to the CEO? What's what's the recipe for success that you've seen? Almost exclusively the latter. It's almost almost you know, almost without exception. There are there have been exceptions in my experience where the CMO or some leader in marketing um, comes in and says, from a top-down perspective, we're really going to change here and we're going to put in a content organization and we're going to put in something that really adds value, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really the exception. Most often, it is a practitioner, usually somewhere in the marketing spectrum, right? So one of the other changes that's happened, quite frankly, over the last 10 years is that we in marketing have become siloed as well, right? So now we have demand gen teams and customer service teams and customer loyalty teams and web content teams and email teams and PR teams and brand teams and all these teams that are out there creating content for their specific layer of the customer journey and, quite frankly, not talking to each other as often as we should. But somewhere in there, somewhere in that spectrum, somebody says, We've got to do it differently. We've got to create a platform, a content platform that actually delivers value to an audience simply because that's going to be the way that it helps me do my job usually, right? You know, if I'm in demand generation, it's going to help me get more leads. If I'm in PR, it's going to help me get more earned media coverage. If I'm in brand, it's going to help my brand, um, you know, bolstering. Whatever that sort of selfish need is, that's usually where it starts as a seed. And then where it succeeds 
is really where they can start expanding it out content as a function in the business, not just as a project, not just as a campaign, not just as something that gets done temporarily as part of some microsite or something like that, but it's rather how do we start creating content as a strategic function in our business? And many times, quite frankly, that happens in the classic, you know, I'm going to beg forgiveness rather than um, permission here because the actual functioning of it, getting cross-functional cooperation with calendaring, with asset creation, with the content, with audience and persona development, all that stuff really comes out of that practitioner level of working with their teams. And then the function can be layered over the top of that, getting permission from the CMO or the C-suite, not for the project, but for the function and process of content more strategically in the business. That's where it really succeeds. And the biggest mistake is where we look at content as a simple campaign or a simple project. And it may or may not work, but people go, yeah, okay, that worked. Well, let's do that again. And let's do that again. And then it just becomes quite simply a declining value of campaign-oriented marketing that, yeah, it's got some storytelling in it. And that's where the buzzwords really start to emerge is it just starts looking like everything else we're doing, but we're calling it content. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And in fact, it was interesting. About a week ago, I was out at a conference and I was talking to a CMO and I won't say the company or the CMO because, you know, a little bit of guilt here is going to come in, in terms of his reply, perhaps, <laughs> if he were to look back on it. But, you know, the, I, I, the bus. I was I but we were talking about, you know, who needs to evaluate the use of content, right, which I think is what you're saying, Robert, is like, how is content being used in that organization? And his approach was, well, I guess I really have to get my content team on that. And I said, well, yeah, you have to get your content team, but you also have to get your demand gen team on that. And he said, well, why? And I said, well, they're the ones who have to actually use the content in the campaigns that you're out there doing, as opposed to just thinking about a group that creates content and posts it on your website for people to come and just magically discover, right? And, you know, he fully acknowledged it once I pointed it out to him. But I think there's this mindset that we have to get companies to kind of go beyond just creating content to start using that content. It's it's a great point. It's a it's a great point. And that sort of cross-functional, see, that's where that's that's where the value is. Is so ultimately what we're trying to do in content marketing is build an audience. Because quite honestly, if we only look at content and the content we're creating as a replacement for advertising, we'll fail. And the reason for that is because content, quite frankly, is more expensive to create. Great content is more expensive to create than an ad. It just is. And it's more, it takes longer. It takes, it's, it takes deeper and different kind of talent to bring it to fruition. And so all of these things mean that we have to find more value in the organization for that content than simply just throwing it out as another version of an advertisement. And so getting cross-functional participation with demand generation, with PR, with the brand, with customer service, with sales, wherever it is, and finding those multiple lines of value for the audience we're building is a key component of making a successful content marketing strategy. Just an example of that is you start thinking about using a piece of content that is going to create a subscriber. Well, that subscribe craft is a great example of this and what they've been able to do with their food and family magazine and online recipes database. So they build a database, they build an audience of three and a half million opt-in subscribers. 
Well, those, those audiences provide multiple ways to get value. They provide research to the brand managers who are doing classic advertising to help them say, hey, here's where we should be advertising. And hey, here's what moms in Northeastern Ohio think. And hey, here's what better, you know, they think about macaroni and cheese these days because we can poll them and survey them, et cetera. So they can provide invaluable retail-oriented research to the brand manager. But they can also be used because we can upload that database into Facebook and do lookalike advertising on Facebook to make our media buy better. And they can be used because we can look at what they're doing at a regional level and give our partners at the store level better insight into where they should be doing point of purchase displays and those sorts of things. So looking at that and looking at and for the multiple ways we can drive value through the creation of an engaged audience is the way that we provide the value for content to support many, many strategic business initiatives, one of which might be a replacement for the ad that we're running. I think that's a really interesting way to, to put it, Robert, because we've been I've had numerous conversations with companies even over the last few weeks who are um, undergoing a similar kind of shift. And, and just to sort of validate what you're saying, and even from small B2B companies where, you know, their traditional approach has been either content as a way to support digital advertising or content as a way to fuel um, a blog or a brand strategy, but not really thinking about, you know, how are the other teams not only driving the inputs and requirements, the demand gen team, right? They have their own, you know, need for content. And, and to your point, these other teams have a need and a thirst, hopefully, uh, for great content to fuel their strategies. And I think one of the interesting things is a lot of people are still struggling with how do we reconcile that and where does the content creation and strategy come from? And should it be um, compartmentalized into those teams? Should it be a centralized function that's a service, you know, to the other groups? So right now we're going to take a really short break in the spirit of advertising to hear from a couple of our podcast sponsors. And when we come right back, you're going to hear Robert Rose play air guitar. Hey, everybody, this is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert reminding you that Content Bros is sponsored by Uberflip, a cloud-based platform that helps marketers like you create personalized content experiences to showcase the content you've created. You, not IT, you can create engaging content hubs that your audiences will love. I use it all the time. My team uses it all the time. With Uberflip, you'll deploy content faster, accelerate your lead gen, and enable your sales team with personalized content throughout the sales cycle. Go to uberflip.com pros, uberflip.com pros to find out how you can be a content pro by showing your company that the content experience matters. The show is also brought to you by my friends at Vidyard, the new generation video platform that helps you unlock the power of video today. Love, love, love Vidyard. Use it all the time. Super easy, interactive, personalized video experiences. You can boost your online conversion rates, track the true performance of your video content well beyond the view count. Visit vidyard.com today to see how you can use video to deliver better results across all of your marketing programs. Also wanted to let you know some super exciting news. We've just launched a brand new podcast, a companion to Content Pros. It's called Experience This, an unbelievable show all about customer experience and the brighter side of how companies interact with their customers. It's hosted by the amazing Dan Gingas and Joey Coleman. It's at experiencethisshow.com, experiencethisshow.com, or find it on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. You are going to love it. Each week has several different episodes, lots of multimedia, really interesting show. It is going to be a barn burner. If you like content pros, you're going to love Experience This. Give it a listen, won't you? Thanks, as always, for listening to Content Pros. Now, back to the show. 
And we're back on Content Pros with Robert Rose from the Content Marketing Institute. Now, Robert, we were talking about the need for content uh, to be a, a strategic initiative across a marketing function and, and uh, the reliance that a lot of different teams have now on great content to fuel their strategies. One question I've heard out there is, should we have a centralized content team that is producing various forms of content? It could be written, it could be video, it could be long form, short form, and servicing the other parts of the organization, PR, demand gen, brand, and so on, or do those different functions need to develop their own innate content development capabilities, um, and, and what, is the, you know, what is the recipe for success? And I'm sure it depends on the size of organization, the structure, but could you, could you take a swing at that and just let us know what you're seeing for maybe smaller companies as well as larger companies and, and what's likely to work? Yeah, absolutely. And so it, you're and you're right to point out the difference between larger and smaller organizations because in many cases the content department might be one person or it might be quite frankly one person who has that as, you know, 10% or 20% of their job. So in 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 either case, it it what is important is that there is a strategic content plan. And so one of the things that you said, which I think is important, is should, it be a, should the strategy be centralized or should each group have their sort of own individual mandate? And I believe it should be the former. There should be a strategic content plan that is central to the organization that supports the operation of whatever platform they're, they're working on call that a resource center, call it a blog, a digital magazine, a webinar program, whatever it, whatever the expression of that content is, there should be a strategic content plan for that platform. And then multiple platforms if there is such a thing, right? So the blog plus the webinar program plus the, 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 the uh, white paper, thought leadership, resource center, whatever it is, those I look at as strategic initiatives or strategic platforms that each and of themselves have a strategic editorial plan. This is the biggest mistake that companies make. Because they don't, what ends up happening is even if they have a content team of one or a content team of 10, they don't create that strategic editorial plan. What they do is they start acting like an IT service or an on-demand service for the rest of the organization. So demand gen has needs for content. And so they put their requests in. Sales has requests for content. PR has requests for content. Brand has requests for content. And so the content team, whether one person or 10, ends up being an on-demand vending machine of content that are just random things. And instead, that has to be flipped, where the content group, again, either one person or 10, has a strategic plan and says, here's what we're going to be creating from a strategic editorial standpoint. This might cover 60, 70, hopefully more, 80% of what you need for your asset creation purposes, your demand gen, your brand, your, you know, and we'll create special versions of these just for your campaign-oriented purposes. And then, yeah, we're going to save 20%, 30% of our time for the stuff that we're not covering, those random assets that you need, you know, for that campaign or for this timely thing because we want to newsjack that particular event or whatever it is. We're going to have some percentage of our time that is going to be used to create the on-demand, you know, things that we need to create. But most of our time is going to be creating this strategic content. And the key there is by doing that, you now create a much, you're creating much fewer pieces of content that then get turned into lots and little pieces that match in tone. And you can really start to focus in on the quality there because you end up typically reducing the quantity of content and really increasing the, the quality. But that strategic editorial calendar and process 
and plan is really the difference there. The rest of it is what I call content merchandising, where we're either reusing the pieces that we're creating strategically to feed out into the other parts of the organization to feed the campaigns, feed the PR needs, feed the brand needs, or we're saving that some small special you know, segment of time, 20% of our time, to do other kinds of ad hoc content merchandising, you know, creating the infographic, creating the newsjacking, tweet, you know, whatever it is that we want to do and sort of take advantage of the immediate needs of the rest of the organization. But the central operation is the, is the, key, is the key thing there, whether it's one person or 20. I love that formula. I think it's actually something to be honest. I was jotting down the the percentages even though I know you can, you know, tweak them one way or another for our own team. But maybe you can tell me because I know in in killing marketing you touch on some great examples of companies with scale, great brands that we think of that are doing this well. And and as I was hearing you talk about that recipe, I was thinking, you know, smaller company, maybe a company around, you know, that of my size where our marketing teams, you know, 10 to 15 people. But how does this work at scale? How does this idea of leveraging content, dicing it up, work in these large organizations where, you know, even getting everyone to look at a calendar is tricky? Well, it's a, it's a, it's so typically what I'm finding is, is that in the very, in the larger organizations, in the larger enterprise, this becomes a strategic function and it has to. Right. So in this and we've just seen this in our recent research that we just released, which is in the organization, in the large enterprises where you see content not being taken seriously. And what I mean by that is you'll have a in fact, I I, I was just at a workshop and and a woman came up to me and she said, we're a, you know, a large hundred million dollar plus organization. We've got seven different products in our suite. Um, We're global. Um, and we have a consulting group as well, and I'm a team of two, and I'm expected to scale, you know, to create content for the entire organization. How am I going to, can you give me some tips and best practices in order to do that? And I said, you won't stop trying because you just simply can't, you know, that's the, that's telling me that the enterprise doesn't, it hasn't invested in content yet. And so the only way to succeed there is to actually get focused about one part of the organization that they might optimize. So where I'm seeing it at scale, there is a team here that's operating content as a function in the business, as a strategic function in the business. Great example of this, um, you know, and and maybe a little far out would be Johnson & Johnson and what they're doing with babycenter.com, right? So you look at J&J and you go, wow, that's a big enterprise organization. Well, they have an, and it's a separate division actually of J&J babycenter.com because what do they do? They're making money at it. They're actually, they sell advertising, not to their competitors, but they do sell advertising to monetize their audience. They have, I think, four and a half million subscribed moms, and I'm sure some dads that are subscribed to babycenter.com. But the data that they get for reaching the tens of millions of moms and dads across the world that they get is just invaluable because they're getting stuff like they know for a fact whether mom, that moms plan their baby's first birthday at 10 months. And that's so much valuable information for a brand manager that's looking to do a product launch. They can test headlines. They can test ad campaigns. They can use that data to do cross-marketing um, to advertising across social media. That audience is so valuable to them. And the division, the separate group, makes money doing it. 
And so you look at a company like that where they're treating the actual publication and the platform as a separate group that provides value to the organization as a media organization. Intel is another great example of this with their Intel IQ. Intel IQ is a wonderful magazine that focuses in on um, technology professionals. And it's just a good magazine. It's just a really good set of content. And they look at that and it's a small team. It's I think a team of two or three or four people total that drive that magazine in the publication. And they're using the data and the audience that they're gleaning from that to add value to the rest of what Intel does from a marketing organization. So that's where it's really provides a ton of value is where, just as I was just mentioning, where you look at a focus group that creates the platform or the strategy as a function in the business, as an operation, not just as a campaign, but an operation in the business, and then works their tails off to provide integrated value across a number of different areas. Because if you think about it, all that value that I just mentioned, the advertising and Facebook value, the you know, the insight into research and all those kinds of things that the audience will provide in value. You're not going to find any of that in a Google, you know, ads, you know, or Google uh, analytics report or a Salesforce report or a Marketo report or a Hootsuite report. All of that stuff means taking the audience, going to other parts of the organization and saying, let me see if I can draw value for you. What do you need? What, what, what can I, where can I provide value for you, demand generation team, product team, CRM team, you know, media team? And let me see if I can use my audience to drive value for you. And then each one of those values becomes a line in a PowerPoint. And that, quite frankly, is every successful large at scale content marketing program. Their analytics is a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's funny. And, and I think, you know, I laugh a little bit at that, but it's, it is, it is true for a lot of folks. Um, and, I, but what's interesting to me though, is, is, is that's also an indication of how quickly things are changing with respect to the, the strategies we're employing and the kinds of content we're producing, you know, versus the current expectations of the business. And, you know, there's a lot of things I think we all need to do to, to shift that mentality and to make sure that, you know, our, our analytics and what we're trying to go for from day one are things that we have integrated into the rest of the company with respect to how we can track and manage and analyze those. Um, and so I think there's a lot there. We're not going to have time to unpack that. Maybe that'll be part two of this conversation. Um, but uh, I'm just going to, the one last thing I just wanted to, to point to was you had mentioned, you know, an idea there that I just wanted to pull on, which is, you know, whether you're a small, you know, 20 person B2B company or a large B2C brand, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is the importance of starting to think and act like a media company, right? Like they always have, right? Which is about, you know, a, a huge part of the value you can bring to the market is in the content, the stories, the messages, the, the content you can create to the market, the base, the audience you can build, even the subscriber base you can build to your thought leadership or to your entertainment, whatever it is that you're using as, as your hook to bring people in. Um, and I think there's just so much value to that perspective for organizations. I'm going to ask you one last question that um, uh, I want you to answer just quickly is what one or two kind of people or how is that methodology changing the kinds of people and talent we need within these or content organizations or marketing organizations? You know, how is that changing the kinds of talent, the kinds of experiences um, that people are bringing in uh, to build a successful media or content engine um, that's a lot more strategic to the business? Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a it's a huge question, and the answer quickly is it's fundamentally shifting. Um, and in fact, that's the biggest thing I hear these days from 
organizations that are looking to build a content marketing function is quite frankly, how, how do we, how do we hire and staff this? You know, how do we upskill our team to have this as a cross, uh, as a cross-functional strategy? Because quite frankly, most, you know, there's a lot of talent that's on the team that goes, I think is nascent and unexplored. And one of the things that I do with many of my clients is, is talk to the teams and find out that, oh my gosh, there's so many great writers and so many great content creators here that has just gone, you know, unused because they haven't done it. But figuring out where to bring in the journalists, the editors, the rich media creators, the videographer, the photographer, the designers, the content distributor, the advertising manager, and really figuring out those talent skills are, are, are really the challenge, quite frankly, of the marketing organization of today. It's because it's fundamentally shifting all of the different chairs and responsibilities that we have. Yeah, it's a fun time for sure, Robert. I, oh, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's probably no better time to be in marketing. So I know Tyler said he was going to hit you with one more question, but reality, you don't get off that easy on content pros. We we like to finish with a lightning round always. And the goal is to oh, get to know right. not just your your you know work thoughts, but kind of meshing a bit into personal while still tying it to work in some ways. So okay. first off, I mean we've we've hinted at this, you know, your ability to get up on a stage, but we're gonna we're not gonna put you under pressure in that way. But what kind of music are you listening to when you're not up on stage? When you got your headphones on, when you're doing work, pumping out a blog post of your own, what 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 type of tunes do you do you listen to? Well, I'm a musician, and so um, and I play piano um, and have for many years. And so this is not a cop out, but it truly is. It could be anything. I think the only kind of music I don't regularly listen to is like death metal. I mean, I'm not a big fan, um, <laughs> but pretty much everything else can. So most frequently, it's going to be some form of jazz or rock and roll. All right, I like, I like. Um, just, just to give everyone the visual, it was an '80s theme when I saw Robert perform. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll keep going here. So, what is your preferred format for content? You know, I, I know you do podcasts. I know you do. You know, you write tons of great blog posts. You've written these books. Um, and I'm gonna help. You know, to to narrow it down, I'm gonna put the following scenario to you, just so everyone gets a, a way of thinking about how you consume content. So, your book, Killing Marketing, is available for download on Amazon as either a Kindle read, a hardcover book, or an audio book. So like, what is your go-to format for consuming content of those three? Uh, of, of, it, depends on the, it depends on the actual expression of content. For novels and books, it's almost always uh, a Kindle. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I have, I have maybe, you know, five or 600 books on my Kindle, uh, and my library and I use flight time. Um, I love audio for just about everything else. Um, and, um, uh, and I, and I'm, you know, like everybody else, I love video too, but, but for reading books, it's, it's Kindle. Awesome. All right. Here's the, here's the trickiest one. You're going to offend someone with this reply. Okay. Awesome. So if I go to Amazon and I search killing marketing, which is one of the ways people can order your, your new book that you did with Joe, yeah. um, I was telling you that other content is recommended. You know, this, these days it's all about recommended content and what people are, are doing. I mean, both Tyler and I's company at Vidyard and Uberflip are all about recommending that next piece of content. So on Amazon, the three pieces of recommended content are content Inc by Joe Paluzzi. We've got also 
Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. And then we've got Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. If people were to pick up one more book, who are you going with? To, to pick up the, the next book? Yeah. You got to put oh, someone there's, up there's there. No, there's no question it would be Anne's book. Because I've, okay. I, I mean, I, and I've read all three. Okay. Anne's book is hands down awesome. I, I love Anne Handley's book. And, I mean, and that's just to upskill, you know, because killing marketing is about it's big ideas, big business, large enterprise, CEO level book. Anne's book is for all of us to just communicate. I'll, I'll vouch and for that just, as well, just, uh, both for the just the theory behind it, but also as an individual. Uh, frankly, it made me feel a lot better about my own writing, uh, which is to say that I feel like I don't need to be an over formal professional. And she really brought that to light of how I can write in a much more natural tone and, you know, feel good about it. Oh, and she's also annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think recently my wife, who's gotten to know Anne a bit well too, felt really good when Anne followed her on Instagram. She's like, now I feel like I'm telling good stories if Anne cares. <laughs> so, uh, awesome guys, Robert. This has been so much fun. We really appreciate having you on Content Pros. For those listening, if you've enjoyed tuning into this podcast, maybe for the first time, check us out at contentprospodcast.com. Content Pros is part of Convince and Convert, which is a network of other great content, other great podcasts, lots of great things to find there behind Jay Bear and his team. On behalf of Tyler at Vidyard, I'm Randy Frisch at Uberflip. Thanks so much to Robert Rose for joining us. Please take a look at Killing Marketing and please come back to listen to us again on Content Pros. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com. Convert.com.